Look, I'm just saying, if we're going to hell, Ryan Murphy's coming with us, so we'll all chill together. I'm I'm excited about that. And I'm Clarice Lockery. And this is the Next Supremes, an American Horror Story Rewatch podcast. Today's episode, titled Devil's Night, was written by Jennifer Salt and directed by the show co-creator Ryan Murphy. And I am not surprised <laughs> that he wanted to direct this one. It's the spooky, ooky Halloween episode. It's the Halloween episode. Oh gosh, how should we do this? Shall we? I mean, shall we do the? Shall we do the big thing? Shall we do the dinner party first? No, I think let's do it last. Okay. Oh, God. I don't know if I have that much self-control. Okay. <laughs> let's start. Let's go from most boring to least boring. Okay. So let's start with Detective Wes uh, meeting Mrs. E- Miss Evers. Yes. And then finally understanding part of what he's dealing with. And she is just like the TMI queen. <laughs> <laughs> that woman just starts talking and like doesn't stop Mm-mm. until she's told you everything about her entire life <laughs> yeah and we and we do find out a little bit more about her background like her son was kidnapped and murdered by it's by a serial killer okay does that explain her devotion to march well, because she blames herself because she made her son an ugly costume. Yeah. I mean, that's and, not the reason. And that's why the serial killer targeted that young boy, presumably, because he said, what an ugly costume. <laughs> like, I don't know. Well, <laughs> She's, and the logic doesn't really match up. but I mean, She's completely deranged, but in a sad yeah. way. I almost don't really want a backstory for Miss Evers. I think she's such a a fun kooky character and sidekick to James Patrick March. Just the fact that she's so obsessed with, you know, cleaning up after him and her, her devotion to him. I don't really need a a sad backstory for her. Yeah, I guess it's more so that like detective wise can be like, oh my god, we're like the same. But also not really the same, because I just found out that you're a ghost. Oh my god, ghosts exist, whoa. But, yeah, I find it like a little bit, I mean, going back to the last episode of people mm. just saying rude shit that you shouldn't really say. Or he's like, at least you know what happened to your boy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Very <laughs> rude. Just, this isn't like the the victim Olympics, like Jesus. Yeah, truly. <laughs> oh, I'm the saddest person in the whole sad hotel of murdered and people and ghosts. Where, 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 where? Come on now. 
We also get a bit more of Alex. So Alex, we should mention, we didn't mention this at the in the last episode, finds Holden in the hotel and takes him back home. And Holden, who was already pretty fucking creepy as a human child, is extra creepy as a vampire child. Yeah. He's like Gizmo in Gremlins. <laughs> you know, when he goes and he's like, Bright light! Bright light! Oh, no. <laughs> Gizmo is less creepy than this kid. Yeah, Gizmo's cute. This child is not. <laughs> so what do you make of um of Baby Vampire Holden and Alex? I feel like mm, pretty obvious he's a vampire from the get-go. He's He's pale. <laughs> He's dressed in a little tiny Victorian boy costume. <laughs> yes. She just takes him home unquestioningly. I would have had a few questions. Uh, yeah, when he's going, bright, he's too bright. Would have had more questions. When he says, I'm thirsty. Would have been like, for what, bitch? <laughs> I don't trust you right now. But she's like, mm, okay, let me go to the fridge. I brought you orange juice and apple juice because I wasn't sure what you wanted. I think if he's massively dehydrated, probably water. <laughs> like, <laughs> why do or... you bring him juice? He's been kidnapped from years. Something or... in juice. Dog blood? Yeah, and he's, yeah, he's eating the dog. <laughs> This is the thing. The dog was smart. The dog was yapping the second that child walked in the house Mm because Jasper was like, that's a vampire. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm an idiot dog. And even I, with my stupid little dog braid, (laughs) can understand that that is clearly a vampire. Alex goes back to the countess like, what do I do with my kid now? What's going on? What's happening? Yeah. And they, I mean, what do you make of of the Countess just kind of being, like, willy-nilly turning everyone into a vampire at this point? <laughs> I mean, look, what I find really funny about this scene is that Chloe Sevigny is, like, a massive, like, Queen of Cool style icon, you know, untouchable goddess lady. Mm-hmm. But in a scene with Lady Gaga, she comes off like a massive dork. <laughs> like, that's the power of Lady Gaga. She makes Chloe Savigny just look like a little nerd. <laughs> you know what? I think she'd make anyone look like a little nerd, except Angela Bassett. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That's how powerful she mm-hmm. is. That even Chloe Savigny, mm-hmm. who's, like, untouchably cool. <laughs> and she comes in and she's, like, she pulls a gun out. <laughs> Which is sure, okay. What? Okay. <laughs> and then, then she runs off and says she's gonna phone the cops, but of course she doesn't. And also, what I find funny about this scene mm-hmm. is that she tries to justify why she took Holden, and Alex is like, "I never neglected my son," and she's like, "No, I get that, but could you say the same for your husband?" And yeah, then that's they, fucking weird. But they cut to, like, what happened, and it's because he took a phone call while his child was on the ride. Mm. Like, <laughs> it's not really, like, you know, 
call as CPS or what are the child protective services? You know, yeah. like you just you just took a phone call. That's like a normal parent thing to do when the child is like safe and doing something. I feel like Lady Gaga yeah. should be honest here and just say, "Listen, your kid fit my aesthetic for my little <laughs> brood of blonde vampire babies." I'm sorry, but it that's just what happened. So I I had to I had to take him because he, he matches. was already weird looking. <laughs> he matches the rest of them. I so. just assumed you didn't want him. <laughs> Who would want that child? You know, he was born to be a vampire, so I just did what was logical. Yeah, he was like, he doesn't really fit your aesthetic, <laughs> but he definitely <laughs> fits mine. Like, do you see how good he looks in this little, like, creepy Victorian vampire ghost boy outfit? It's delightful. It doesn't really look good in a in a vanilla t-shirt, Alex. I was doing yeah. you a favor. Yeah, exactly. He's not come walking out of an IKEA magazine. <laughs> come on. Um, can we talk about the dinner party? Is it time to yes. talk about the dinner party? Do we need to talk about anything else before we talk about the dinner party? Let me think. No, I think we we kind of cover everything, right? Okay. Yes, I really okay. want. I really want to talk about the dinner party. Yes, let's talk about the dinner party. <laughs> James Patrick March has a serial killer dinner party on Halloween. Hey. Uh okay. Do do you remember? I know we've both mentioned we've seen this season multiple times. Do you remember how much you freaked out watching this episode for the first time? <laughs> It was very like <laughs> it's like <laughs> am I gonna make this analogy? It's like you know with the Avengers Endgame. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's that scene where it's like on your left, and then all the portals open, and it's yeah. like the Avengers coming out. <laughs> and obviously, like everyone, all the like Marvel people in the cinema were like. Mm -hmm. It's like this, but for people who are very interested in serial like the portal scene but it's richard ramirez walks out instead of dr strange <laughs> that is the perfect analogy and also i really want someone to make an edit where it's the avengers assembling but it's the serial killers you know in the first movie where they do that shot kind of around <laughs> around them that like tracking shot when they're all facing their backs to each other in the power pose yes i want that but it's Richard Ramirez, the Zodiac Killer, Jeffrey Dahmer, Eileen Wuornos, and um, John Wayne Gacy, each with their like with their oh weapons God. of choice. <laughs> and they're like, "Lich, isn't it like? Wait, is it the same number as the Avengers as well? That's really distressing." Oh my God! Wait, no, wait. Who is who? Wait, who are the Avengers? Iron Man, Hulk, Black Widow, Jeremy Renner. <laughs> 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 he's, he's not playing characters, just Jeremy Renner. <laughs> just Jeremy Renner. <laughs> I have a fun Jeremy Renner fact for you later, but we will get to that. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, okay, so uh, Iron Man, Captain America, The Hulk, Black Widow, Jeremy Renner. Who's the other one? Oh. Thor. That's six. And we have Richard Ramirez, Alien Werner. That's Jeff six. <gasps> <laughs> 
oh god have we got to match up who's who <laughs> we must we must okay i've got them written out in the outline okay, okay. well i only one of this black widow because it's <sighs> by the default of the group <laughs> yes by default uh, this feels really dark <laughs> i'm just gonna put it out that jeffrey dahmer is jeremy renner yeah yeah no i i get that like you can't really say why <laughs> it's just like the vibes are correct yes uh john wayne gacy the hulk yes zodiac killer i would say i would say iron man because like iron man's always in the suit so you kind of like don't see who it's iron man most of the time that's a good point and iron man's annoying I was going to say Richard Ramirez for uh, Iron Man because Richard Ramirez is kind of annoying, but actually the Zodiac makes more sense. The Zodiac killer was also annoying because he kept sending those little messages. And I feel like Iron Man, if he was a serial killer, would also send like little messages all the time. Yeah, and also the Zodiac thought that he was so much more than everyone else, as does Iron Man. And then Richard Ramirez makes sense for Thor because they're both quite arrogant. Yeah. Wait, who's Captain America? Detective Wes, because oh, they're yes. like wet white people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is super dark, but also kind of perfect. Yeah, but it's I hate that it makes sense. Like these yeah. all make sense. <laughs> oh god, yeah. I think we should have said at the beginning. Uh, this is the episode that's one hundred percent our like confirmation email to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Like something. Oh, I do have like another Marvel-related thing that I thought of during this episode. Oh, go for it! Because you know I'm really obsessed with that Loki show. Yes, as we are all. <laughs> okay, you know how like Tom Hiddleston always flips his hair. Yes, he does. There's a lot of TikTok fan comes of this. Yes. Yeah, you know who in this episode someone also does that like I multiple does times. That a lot. <laughs> Eileen Warnos does the exact Loki. It's hard to describe. If you've seen Loki, you know what I'm talking about. Oh she does God. the Loki hair flip, and it was really off-putting. I don't know if that was something that Eileen Warnos did a lot. Is that where Tom Hiddleston got it from? Oh my God. <laughs> Questions. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I I don't want to know. <laughs> But I feel like you do want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. <laughs> um, so anyways, yeah. So this is uh, this is an annual event that James Patrick March, extra bitch that he is, hosts every year for his serial killer protégés. Yes, because it's revealed that they all stay at the Cortez at some point in their life um which like richard ramirez when we mentioned this earlier like he is believed to have stayed at the hotel cecil which is the mm -hmm. inspiration for the cortez so that kind of matches up the other ones i think are just made up oh totally totally um but it's a. Uh it's it's a cute i i mean this is a sort of like mixing of um you know history and true crime history and like horror fiction that i love ryan murphy for which is like none of this actually makes sense but isn't it cool the idea that all these serial killers have a dinner party and what the dynamic could be and the dynamic between them is exactly 
on point because can we just discuss I can't even keep a straight face. Can we just discuss how each one of these killers is portrayed? So this is like I I, I guess to give my sort of overall takeaway of this episode and mm-hmm. this scene. Like I have always found it really clever and I understand like someone who'd watch it and would find it like extremely distasteful and awful because these were these were all very awful awful people who did awful things but what i what i find fascinating about the way that it's written is that it's it's really sort of like a meta level acknowledgement of of how society like processes serial killers because like we cannot deny that there is a cultural fascination with these people Mm -hmm. and James Patrick March has this amazing speech at the end where he says, I see the definition of American success. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've made your mark in history like the Iliad. Your stories will live on forever. <laughs> like, And he's right. That's the yeah. thing. It's like you cannot deny that he is right. These people are immortal now mm-hmm. through being through evil. And and like that is a really dark and fascinating thing about um like society is that you can become famous by being the worst person alive. Mm-hmm. And the worse you are, the more famous you are. Um and and so I think that's what really this episode like to be serious for folks mm-hmm. like that's really what this episode is playing on. And so that's why I love how the how they're all portrayed because they're not so much portraying like the real you know the real serial killer they're they're portraying the like stereotyped idea of who these people are so it's like richard ramirez was like the rock star serial killer and Mm. john wayne gacy was like the you know boring man serial killer <laughs> like to to keep on being serious i i love that take and because i think it it's also directed in that way rather than i think take the stereotyped ideas of these killers i think ryan murphy in both as well like his visual choices in this episode takes the pop culture ideas around these killers and just goes with them. Like you mentioned, Richard Ramirez was the, the rock star killer, although there was nothing rock stars about him at all. But that's the way that like the cultural obsession with him and the way that his image, not so much as crimes, has continued um, in pop culture presents him. Eileen Wernos as well. The way that he shoots her coming into the hotel, you kind of instantly know who she is. Um mm. John Wayne Gacy, interestingly, not shown in his clown makeup. He was known as the clown killer or the killer clown. He's well, he is at one point in one shot. He has the right. I don't think he does. Does he? No, there's there's one shot near the end for the dessert uh-huh. killing <laughs> where he's got the he has the clown makeup on. Oh, I missed that. I totally missed that. But like he. He was the charming politician. He was a very gregarious guy. So, like, he is very much like that sort of vibe of a person. And Jeffrey Dahmer is literally looks like, almost exactly like his mugshot, the way that he is presented in in the, at the dinner party. Yeah, and sort of the quiet, you know, the quiet, shy, um, hor- the the shy and horny killer. 
Yes, the shy, the shy and horny killer. And the Zodiac um, is like wearing the Zodiac um outfit. Yeah, just being like super mysterious, which was his vibe because we don't know who he was. <laughs> <laughs> smug. He was smug. Yeah. I do think it's also like an interesting way of, again, you know, we talk a lot uh, throughout the seasons about this idea of a place being the the source of evil and the idea that Patrick March build this hotel specifically for evil like it's imbued in in the structure of the building and he killed hundreds of people there and obviously this is we talked about how this is based on hh holmes as well but the fact that he would like sort of entrap future murderers or even potential murderers in this place and nurture that side of them and keep them not just coming back but also, like, actually throw them out into the world with this sense of purpose, like killing for a purpose. And the purpose being just, you know, embrace your absolute evilness. Yeah, I like how it's sort of presented, like, James Patrick March sees this as an art form. Mm-hmm. And... And because, again, like, it, like, circles back to how much, like, we're always so fascinated by the methods mm. right and that's like such a big part of this is um like jeffrey dahmer we see him drill into someone's skull and put the acid into because mm-hmm. he kind of wanted to turn them into a zombie like you know there's a whole thing wanting to turn them to a zombie so that they'll like be loyal and affectionate towards him a very warped logic but um mm-hmm. you know like that's that's the combination of of the societal fascination with the murderer is it's one part the psychology of who were they why did they do this but that gets really simplified like it's interesting that um well like ted bundy is not at the dinner party Mm-hmm. it's yeah kind of interesting that he's not there because i would have thought he would be <laughs> yeah i kind of do you know what I, I was thinking about bundy when when I was writing the outline, and I actually quite like the fact that he didn't include Bundy. I think Bundy is one of the most overhyped serial killers. I that is not a sentence I thought I'd ever say, uh, <laughs> but I do. I do think that like, oh god, oh everything I'm gonna say is just gonna sound even more terrible. I do apologize. In the context of this conversation we're having, it makes sense. Um, I think there's a lot more like. In I think the narrative around Ted Bundy has been so perverted by pop culture. And I'm glad that he's not included at the dinner party because it's it, like it's it's done. It's not as it's. I don't know what I don't know what I yeah. think. I, I think he's overblown. I think he's overdone. I think the way that people approach pop culture uh, stories have approached him has always been centering the fact that he's like the hot serial killer. He's like he's charming and attractive and such a such a good man. Except you know he's a murderer and he's a murderer of women in particular. And yeah, I'm I'm glad he's not invited. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, I get what you mean, but then I'm like I'm also I find it interesting that he's not there because like. Because you know, just because of what I said, it's like this yeah. is a whole sequence about like the celebritization of serial killers, and and you're right, he's like the most celebrity of them all. Like mm. there's such like a weird mystique around Ted Bundy, yeah. Um, 
And so, yeah, like it is partially that, but then I think there is also just a fascination with the, with the methodology. Cause it's like, I feel like all the, the, the serial killers there and the ones that are famous are the ones that it's like, oh, but why, why would they kill people? Like the, you know, the patterns of, of who they killed and how they did it. And it's like, we have such a fascination with that because it's like, I guess it's like, cause you want to under, if you can understand why Richard Ramirez like did what he did, mm-hmm. well, then you can understand anybody, right? Mm. It's like a pop psychology thing. And so I, I like how this episode so leans into both of those, those like dual aspects to, mm-hmm. to our cultural fascination. I do wonder, I do wonder now that you're, talking about it if perhaps ted bundy is not included in this episode because there might be something bigger in the works i mean this season is a few oh, years he's old gonna do an american crime story about ted bundy for sure right i mean i i <laughs> would expect to i would expect him to more than any other serial killer i think that's the one that as you as you pointed out has the most like the most divisive um pop culture approach to him yeah, there's that song on TikTok. That song on TikTok that people always use. Which one? Um, it's the one because that, that's about Ted Bundy. The one that's like he was ugly, and I'm glad he's dead. No, I haven't heard that <laughs> TikTok song, song. There's a song. Oh, there's a song about Ted Bundy. Oh dear lord! It's called "A Lot of True Crime" by Penelope Scott. Okay. Um, Never heard of it. Oh, maybe it's not about. No, it is about. But Ten Buddy was just never that fucking bright. He was just sort of charismatic and white, all right? Yeah. But he was so fucking sure that he had it right. But he's ugly, and I'm glad he's dead. That's the final words of Ted Bundy. <laughs> um, is there anything else we need to talk about that happens in this episode before we move on to our categories? I just want to say. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. They do a whole thing about how they drink absinthe Mm because it's that customary libation. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the implication that, like, absinthe is the drink of murderers? Because that's my favorite. (laughs) That's my favorite drink is absinthe. I I don't think that is. Okay. I don't think that's the implication. Okay, I'll tell you what my reading is, and this is not just to um, calm your I'm not a murderer nerves. Um, I think it's twofold. I think on the one hand, it's because absinthe was probably, well, definitely was a much more popular drink during the time of Frederick March. This is true. It's not like, you know, he's not going to pull out Jägerbombs. That would not be his style. Um... So I think that's that's one of the reasons. And the second reason is because absinthe has this, it's not strictly true, but it does have this cultural association with having hallucinogenic properties. So you could imagine that like they're drinking absinthe in the same way that they would like, I don't know, take LSD and sort of get drunk, but also trip at that dinner. So I think that's also the implication. Not that okay, it's a drink fair. of murderers. It's more like a pretentious drink that gets you drunk or faster because the 
alcohol percentage is much higher. Right, but it's delicious and it tastes like licorice and I love it. When you put it and you pour it on the sugar and it's mm, yummy. Just like just like James Patrick March. Yeah, maybe we can really get along. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Oh, okay, let's move on very quickly from that. <laughs> what is your top quote of the episode? Um oh Okay, mm-hmm. I think my favorite quote was when John Wayne Gacy was like, just because you got 30 bur- bodies buried in your crawl space don't mean you can't have a really terrific rec room and be a respectable businessman. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of summarizes him. He was a respectable yeah. businessman. <laughs> Which also, like, I just want to shout out, so John Wayne Gacy's played by John Carroll Lynch, who, uh, like, obviously he's twisty, we've met before, and yes. he was famously in Zodiac. Yes. Uh, and he's just a great actor, and, like, I love that they cast him as John Wayne Gacy. He does such a good job. He is so perfect, I mean, as well, because I think we've mentioned this before, he is one of those actors who can go very elegantly from being, like, a source of comfort and warmth to being incredibly creepy the way that he like uses his his body language and the his performance he's and that thing i think resonates really well with with gacy because like he was incredibly gregarious incredibly popular really and a successful business owner like he was not like the the stereotypical idea of a of someone like that it's like someone like a shy weirdo who has a freezer full of bodies or something like Dahmer. He was the complete opposite. And I think John Carroll Lynch has that ability to sort of shift between those two moods or like or giving out that energy of either being very welcoming and warm and being like, oh no, I will actually like crush your bones with my hands. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's great. He's amazing. More on him later. Um I think my top quote has to be Liz Taylor. When she goes, I have a floppy appendage between my legs that keeps me from wearing pencil skirts. We all have our flaws, kitten. (laughs) She's great. She's just great. She's so great. Yes. The only non-dickish character on this on the season so far. Truly, yes. (laughs) And what about the best fit? Please don't say Eileen Wuornos. No. It's the last, I think this is the last scene. Yes. Mm. When the Countess turns Alex and she turns up in, it's like a red dress. Mm-hmm. She's got like a little pillbox hat that sort of looks like an, the air stewardess thing, but mm-hmm. made, mainly made me think of Britney Spears in the Toxic music video. <laughs> yes. And it has a little veil and she's got a fur shawl that she dramatically drops. Of course her, she does. Her leather gloves. I think they're like crystal, right? Yes, it's her, it's, on them. it's her murder glove. Yeah. Yes. And she just mm, 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 looks great. She does look amazing. I wanted, I wanted to pick that one as well, but I just want to echo the other Gaga outfit, which is her casual Countess outfit. Where it's like this beige, brown, maybe even terracotta, uh, sort of, <laughs> um, very heavy on the shoulder pads. Some really yes. edgy shoulder pads, just like a knee length skirt, plunging neckline, gorgeous matching shoes. 
it's just, you know, I, I imagine this is what she wears when she just wants to go casual. This is not her putting in much effort and she still looks more glamorous than any of us about 99% of the time. I know, yeah. <laughs> I feel really ashamed watching this show. <laughs> <laughs> um, And what about the Boma Bona Award for the horniest moment of the show, of the episode? Um... I'm gonna not say any of the murder stuff because that feels feels very inappropriate. <laughs> I have um, one non-murdery one, mildly non-murdery. Yes, what is it? Do you know the moment where Eileen Warnos is flirting with John Lowe in the bar? Yes, <laughs> and she's like, "You don't, you." Oh God, she says something like, "Basically, you don't know sex until you spend an hour." with a crazy hooker and he's like i got a room just that moment just that moment yeah but that's like that made mm. listen it's not advisable <laughs> this is this is the kebab 3 a.m situation again discomfort <laughs> i'm not saying it's good i'm just saying it's very horny and it disappears like in the next shot but in that moment, John, the way that Wes Bentley just says, I got a room. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. In other contexts, I would agree, but it's, it's Eileen Warnos. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all of it. And also, she's a ghost. I, none of it, is, none of it yes. is advisable. None of it is advisable. So let's move on to the cinematic references of this week. I guess, like, every serial killer thing, right? <laughs> so, I had a little bit of fun with this one. Okay. So, I thought it would be fun because there's so many serial killers. And I didn't strictly pick up on any, like, wings to particular other films. But I thought it would be fun to, like, point out or talk about the film adaptations based on each one of the serial killers that are at a dinner party. Oh, okay. So there's been quite a few. And I haven't seen all of these, but I have seen a lot of these for my sins. Um, <laughs> and you tell me your thoughts about any of the ones that I mentioned and any of them I have missed. It's a combination of, of TV movies and um, and feature films. So Richard Ramirez, not a single good film has been made about him. Even though he's a rock star killer, Night Stalker from 2002 weird night stalker 2009 also not great the night stalker from 2016 i haven't seen this one that looks like the least egregious one of them but also doesn't look very interesting and then the most the highest profile one was actually a documentary series on netflix that came out earlier this year called night stalker hunt for the serial killer which i thought was quite good because it's not actually about him as much as the detectives and the manhunt that was going on about him. And there is a fantastic um, part in the, I think, penultimate episode where they talk about how he was actually captured and how actually the, the particular neighborhood where he was running away from the police and he was running through this um, residential neighborhood. And it was like, I think it was not, it's not sort of the projects area of LA, but it was like a, an impoverished area of LA. And basically everyone 
in that neighborhood collectively kept him like they kept him put until the police arrived so he was essentially oh captured by the public because they did a citizen's arrest they did they did i think they also like beat him up a little bit and stuff but because he was he was such a a chaotic killer that would just like go in to random houses and would rape and murder women of all ages like there was a lot of fear understandably in the city so when there was this call out from the police that he was on the run and going through this particular area of town people actually like went out went looking and when they when they saw him kind of try to make his escape and like steal a car or something they all kept him there and there's footage in this documentary series of him just literally being like sitting on a curb being surrounded by civilians who are just like keeping him there like in a circle until the police arrived so <laughs> you know citizens arrest yes there it might this is a really obscure reference uh-huh my association with citizens arrest is from the andy griffith show okay because I think it was the Don Knotts character. It was a character who was always just run around screaming, Citizens Arrest, Citizens Arrest, Citizens Arrest. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else knows this reference. <laughs> Did you ever no watch idea. the Andy Griffith show? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> it's a TV show from the 60s. <laughs> and Andy, it was Andy Griffith. Uh, Ron Howard was in it. Okay, really yeah. And yeah. Don Knotts. And it was about like a bunch of like hapless cops. Um, but there was a whole running joke about about citizens arrest. I have no so idea. Whenever anyone anyone says talks about citizens arrest, I just think of that TV show from the sixties. Oh Anyways, I'm sorry everyone. I'm curious to see what obscure references you come up with for the next one. So, <laughs> um, so jumping to Jeffrey Dahmer. So you know how I mentioned Jeremy Renner should be Dahmer, and you yes. were like same energy. Well, Jeffrey Dahmer played. Sorry, Jeremy Renner played. <laughs> played <laughs> Jeremy Renner. <laughs> this whole time it's been it's actually <laughs> So in 2002. Jeremy Renner played Jeffrey Dahmer in the first feature film biopic of his life. And it is just called Dahmer. And it stars, well, Renner. And it stars Bruce Davison as Jeffrey Dahmer's dad. And I, I'm going to go on the record and say, you know what? I think I might have the last existing DVD copy of this film. Did Disney try and burn all the copies when they canceled this Hawkeye? You know what? Uh, it is not great. It is very clearly an attempt to like do a serious role, and it is not very good. Oh no! However, my friend Dahmer from 2017, uh, starring Ross Lynch as a teenage Dahmer, is actually a legit, very, very good film. And it's not about the murders; it's more about the inherent weirdness of Dahmer and how certain things in his upbringing kind of exacerbated it and you know he never really learned how to cope with life or really find his place in it and 
it's not sort of in the vein of the making of a murderer or anything like that, but it's it's a much better film than the straight up biopic. And what I like about well, because it's based off a, a comic. That's yes, it is written by someone who was his childhood friend, mm-hmm. and the aspect of it that I really like is about like that lifetime's burden of guilt mm-hmm. of you know maybe they had. I mean, they didn't, you know, and they shouldn't bear the responsibility for it. But the friends who, like, have to spend the rest of their life going, oh, was there a moment where I could have, you know, said something, done something mm. to have prote- prevented what happened? It's like, there's like a really, like, heartbreaking and interesting way to look at that story. Yeah. And then there's the other kind of open-ended question of, like, are you capitalizing on this guy who was entered pop culture because he was a murderer yeah i mean that's true that's um, true as well then eileen wernos there's only been one film made about her and it's an excellent one it's more of a drama than a horror film because her life was incredibly sad and very very um riddled with trauma and a lot of abuse and Patty, Patty Jenkins, who did the both Wonder Women films, directed Shirley Theron and Christina Ricci in Monster from 2003. And it's a very, very good film. It's probably the best film after Zodiac about serial killers. Mm. And there's two different Nick Broomfield documentaries, which are uh, straight up interviews with the real Eileen. But I'm not going to recommend anything made by Nick Broomfield. So he sort of like got in touch and befriended, quote unquote, befriended Aileen when she was already captured when she was on death row. And he did two separate documentaries that are about her that are essentially, you know, him accessing her and having these very, very long recorded interviews with her. But Nick Broomfield, um, if you look a little bit into it and, and throughout his entire um, filmmaking career, he's made some interesting choices and some of them are like very morally questionable like the angle the way that he edits out information and i think there is an element throughout all of those both those documentaries of kind of taking advantage of this woman um when she is in prison oh my god wait nick broomfield made that awful documentary about kurt cobain right yeah and he also made another awful one about whitney houston Yes. Yeah, so he made Curtin Courtney and he made Kurt um Courtney, yeah. there were two Whitney Houston documentaries that came out a few years ago. He made um the worst one. The one where yeah, he just got a whole bunch of like very, very far removed people um to talk shit about Whitney. So Ew. no. Yes. And I'm starting to think there's a pattern because Dahmer is from 2002, Monster is 2003, Night Stalker, which is not a great um, film, but still about Ramirez, is from 2002 as well. And the one feature film biopic of John Wayne Gacy called Gacy hmm, is from 2003. There was a fascination oh, yeah. at the time. Yeah. There's also another, there's a whole bunch of documentaries about Gacy. They're not exceptional, but there's also a horror film from 2010 called 8213 Gacy House, which is about like a bunch of horror nerds going and doing like a found footage film or something at Gacy's old house, which sounds like a fun premise. (laughs) 
what I would actually recommend is uh the crossover episode of the podcast American Hysteria and You're Wrong About, where they talk about killer clowns as a moral panic, because that all pretty much started from John Wayne Gacy being a a clown that would do children's parties, and when his whole shtick blew up and when he got captured uh and exposed as a murderer, the fact that he was such a big part in his community and the fact that he was like a, a nice man and a, who dressed up and played clowns for children's birthday parties became incredibly creepy it was always creepy but apparently that's that's when the killer clown um paranoia started yeah yeah just wait yes Stephen King's it when was John Wayne Gacy? John Wayne people? Gacy was in the eighties, I believe. Let me right. Check. So was Pennywise was that like influenced by John Wayne Gacy? I wouldn't know. I'd imagine yes. So John Wayne Gacy, so he was active in the seventies and eighties. He died in ninety four. But he was captured in... Let me see when he was captured. So he was... um, Just interested in, like, the history of scary clowns. (laughs) Yeah, you should definitely listen to that episode, though. Yeah. It's not... Yeah, I think I'm working through through it at the moment. But I haven't Mm. gone up to it yet. So they're not saying the year. Oh, um, he got captured at the end of the seventies. So maybe, maybe. Who was the first scary clown? <laughs> it <laughs> was, was him. The, it was him. Who was the first person to be scared of a clown? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Stephen King. <laughs> Stephen King. <laughs> and then finally, the Zodiac Killer is actually interesting uh, with film history because there was not one, but three films made and released inspired by him while he was still active in the 70s. So there mm. was The Zodiac Killer, literally called The Zodiac Killer, which was released in 1971, which, as he was still murdering people at large, it was, you know, it created a whole, like, imagined plotline for who he was and why he was motivated to murder people. That was That's released in 71. Good. That's not cool. <laughs> there was a porn version of Jesus. the Zodiac Killer released the same year called, alternatively, the Zodiac Killer or Zodiac Rapist. Oh, my God. And it starred John Holmes. Who was a very famous porn star from the seventies, no. and apparently, <laughs> I'm so sorry, but this is this is kind of funny and also kind of terrible. I haven't seen this film, but apparently, there's a voiceover in the film where you know the Zodiac killer gets captured, and it says, "And thus was the end of the reign of the Zodiac. For his despicable crimes, the felon was ordered to death by hanging." But the sentence was dropped when it was revealed to the jury that the Zodiac was quite hung enough already. I, I please wash that information out of my brain. I don't want to know that. 
I don't want to have learned that. Unlearn. So sorry. I'm so sorry. Unlearn. <laughs> the 70s, not a fun time. Pure decadence. No. There was also Dirty Harry, the famous um, like police thriller film starring... Uh, oh my god. <laughs> What's his name? Clint Eastwood. Starring Clint Eastwood, <laughs> which was inspired um, partly by the Zodiac. There's an alternative version. They're not, they don't call him the Zodiac and Dirty Harry, but the detective... The lead detective of Dirty Harry is actually inspired by the also the detective who was one of the detectives who is pursuing the Zodiac, who is played by Mark Ruffalo in the best film about the Zodiac, which is Zodiac from 2007. (laughs) Who was also, wait, he was also the inspiration for Bullet, right? I think he was, yeah. Yeah. Who's called Bullet. Yeah. Bullet. Bullet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They're so bizarre. Yes. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of bad films in 1971 coming out. The Exorcist 3, which, by the way, is an excellent horror film, is sort of loosely inspired by the Zodiac, but not really an adaptation. But yeah, mm-hmm. David Fincher's Zodiac, best film. With John Carroll Lynch. Yes, playing one, one of the suspects, the lead suspect in the Zodiac, um, in the Zodiac case, but never confirmed to actually be the killer. Yeah, but there's that incredible shot where oh, he God, yes. is very... Is it the last shot or very, very near the end mm-hmm. where they're just looking at each other? Yeah. And that look on John Carroll's Lynch's face, which is mm. just like, maybe I did it. Maybe I didn't. You're never gonna know. Yes. <laughs> it's so chilling. It is really chilling. Right. Sorry, that was a long-winded section but did you pick up on any insensitive historical references in this episode well it's hard because like i could go through uh, literally every serial killer (laughs) featured but look i feel like everyone listening probably knows enough about you know eileen warner stuffy dharma and um most of them are touched upon in already or in future episodes i think eileen wanos is the only one who they never really come back to mm. right yeah. um but i thought instead i there is another real life uh serial killer mm-hmm. in this episode that's not at the dinner party do you mm-hmm. know who it is i know it's a chicken coop killer yeah so the the chicken coop uh killer in the in the episode that kills um mrs everett's child mm-hmm. is actually based on a, a real series of murders well i think in the episode they say like 20 from my understanding it was four um boys were killed so the wineville chicken coop murders uh mm-hmm. was a series of abductions and murders of young boys that occurred in uh, riverside county california which is near los angeles between 1926 and 1928 uh the 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 killer was called Gordon Stewart Northcott and he had a chicken ranch and a house and it was sort of an escalating series where he uh, first sexually abused his nephew and then went on to um, murder a total of four boys and um, like in the episode they, they found shallow graves at the ranch where so they didn't but it wasn't the complete bodies it was parts of bodies and there was a there's a thing where he had supposedly moved bodies because I think he found out he's about to be caught. And so, like, um, with the evidence found in the graves consisted of 51 parts of human anatomy, 
uh, this is a quote, these silent bits of evidence of human bones and blood have spoken and corroborated the testimony of living witnesses. Mm-hmm. And so that's how he was charged. And then Wineville actually changed its name to Mira Loma because they just did not like <laughs> want to be associated with that anymore. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mir Loma's a nice name. Yeah. And this might be a difficult one. But who is the killer of the hour? <laughs> you can't give me like who my favorite serial killer is. This is a loosely defined category. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna say who's the who's the I mean you know it's American horror story. There's there's murders every five minutes. Uh, yes. it's in a contract. It's in everyone's contract. Who is the standout killer in this episode? I'll be honest. Like I would probably pick James Patrick March because Ooh. of that. Like um, that speech he has at the end. Because the speech mm. he has at the end of the episode, um. It reminds me of this the the U.S. Steel of Murder speech <laughs> from Freak Show, right? Yes. It has that same sort of grand, like I am summing up the themes of my character in this episode of this one big speech where he calls everybody. He says, "We are the Mount Rushmore of murder," which mm-hmm. is like I love it. I love that writing. It's so completely over the top, but like sort of on point at the same time. Yes, we are the Mount Rushmore of murder. One day we'll say we are the Mount Rushmore of podcasting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to take uh, the low road because I am also trash. Uh, <laughs> much like March. Uh, I'm going to pick Jeffrey Dahmer because... Okay, I'm trying to think of a of a nice way to put it. Because he gets to murder someone and he is so happy about it and it's literally like watching a dog with a toy i think it's the most interesting depiction in the episode because like out out of all the the killers like he's the one who's given most space for kind of his psychology yes because you see how like he you know, because the sort of the the big, like, very flattening of it all takeaway of Jeffrey Dahmer was that he just wanted affection, right? Mm-hmm. He just wanted to be close to somebody. And I think, like, you do get this very well put in the episode. Mm-hmm. So I see it. It's justified. Killer of I'm the not calling the police. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> We've still got so many episodes to go. Um, <laughs> so... What about the Gaga plus? What about the Gaga plus? Oh my god! Why can I say the word applause? What about Gaga's applause moment this episode? I want to say mm-hmm. it's when she offers. She puts out the offer on the table of "Do you want to be a vampire?" Yes, Alex. Mm-hmm. And and Alex is like, mm, "What do I give in return?" And she just goes. Your undying loyalty, and she like stretches her arm on the couch, like really, like real casual, like yes. She just goes like she leans back as well. She goes like, "Oh, your undying loyalty, of course," and kind of leans back as if, well, duh, duh, like just work for me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I think I kind of know what you're going to say, but who is the MVP of the episode? I'll probably say James Patrick Mark again. I knew He's it. having a blast. <laughs> I agree. He's living his best little life. <laughs> he has had a, a successful dinner party. Everyone showed up. I think he's winning. Yay. I mean, yeah, let's let's not cheer the the like epic mass murderer, but okay. Yeah, but he's fictional at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's that's better than cheering <laughs> on like Dahmer. <laughs> exactly. Oh my goodness. He's so fat of this episode. <laughs> so I mean, you know, looking forward to our time lunching with Dahmer in hell after this episode. Um but is there anything that we haven't covered? Look, I'm just saying, if we're going to hell, Ryan Murphy's coming with us, so we'll all chill together. I'm I'm excited about that. No, we're just gonna watch like old Hollywood movies, tell yeah. stories like compare true crime podcast notes. It's Do you think in hell they have like their own American horror story? <laughs> I think. Well, I guess, like, when Ryan Murphy dies at some point, very, very far in the future, mm-hmm. will he go to hell and he'll just keep making Amer- American Horror Story? <laughs> I guess. Oh, I, I know what hell will be like. Hell will be American Horror Story is the only show that plays, but they never air the last episode. Oh. So they. Yes. You never finish. And then the next season starts, and it's like, fuck, I'm getting invested again, and I never know how anything will end. You think it's the finale, it's actually an episode of Glee. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I mean, this is completely um, obsolete technology by this point, but you know, I I imagine it being in hell. Obviously, there's no HD, no OLED TVs in hell, so it's all VHS quality. And you're watching American Horror Story on old VHSs, like recorded from the TV, and someone, when the last episode is about to start and all the things are being tied together and all that stuff, instead someone recorded an episode of Glee over <laughs> over the finale. And that's what happens yeah. every time. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I've always had like a more, I guess, like, like classical religion view of hell where I imagine you just go. Like, there's no torturing, but you do just have to like, chill out with charles manson <laughs> like that's your punishment is that it's like fuck okay. except you would never chill out with charles manson because charles manson would never shut the fuck up but yeah that's the thing that would be the torture it's like there's no active like demons poking you with fiery sticks it's like just like a, a lounge room but you're stuck with like the most evil people who have ever lived and you just have to like make polite conversation with them and it's like yes that's I, what I imagine hell is. <laughs> I subscribe to Ryan Murphy's like coven uh idea of hell, where it's like it's quite special it's quite specialized, um, like specific to every person. But also now I'm like thinking maybe it's a hotel and every room is like a very particular type of torture, but the torture is never like basic like poking someone with sticks. It's it's like that. It's like having to endure Charlie Manson for two hundred years. Oh or God. having to listen to like John Mayer play music. You open the door and it's just Tarantino's about to explain to something to you. <laughs> you can't leave. <laughs> it's just Tarantino talking about his favorite movies and you've never seen any of the movies. It's Tarantino trying to justify his depiction of Bruce Lee 
And you're just like, you can't go anywhere. And you're like tearing the wallpaper and be like, no. <laughs> and he's like, you know, but what you see is that he hated his stuntmen. And you're like, ah. <laughs> that, that would be, if it was like my coven hell, that would be my hell. <laughs> my oh my goodness. And look, I, look, I do enjoy some Tarantino movies, but I feel like that specific situation I would not like to be in. It's just not, yeah, no, I wouldn't want to be there either. <laughs> and I think that's us done for this episode. What can we expect from the next one? When the next episode, Iris and Alex, new baby vampires, adjust to their new lives. Afterlife. A new life. Vampire life. <laughs> I, when I wrote that, I was like, she's either going to go with it or make fun of it either one is extremely appropriate <laughs> I like it because it's like the share song <laughs> do you believe in life after life after life after life <laughs> we'll be back next Wednesday with a recap of American Horror Story Hotel in the meantime send us your thoughts on Twitter follow us on at the next supremes pod you can also find me on Twitter at Clarice Lou and I am at Anna B. Demented I believe that I'm a vampire. fucking tear you apart.